0: Well, good evening. How are you all doing? Good. Hey, how are you? I'm doing better. I'm doing better. Yeah. Ooh. I got to say, and I know a lot of people have had uh, really, really difficult times with COVID, but the weight loss is amazing. <laughs> amazing. And so um, I am enjoying that for sure. Um, but yeah, uh, dizziness is clearing up. You know, I appreciate the prayers and everybody. Pastor Gary is also doing much better. His cough has almost gone completely. And uh, so we're just blessed and uh, blessed to be here to just keep moving forward through the word. Quick announcement, our 2021 tithe receipts are available out in the foyer. And so if you have uh, been giving to Hosanna uh, through the last year, uh, your tithe receipts for your tax purposes are ready. Now, if you have been giving via our online tools, via our app, text giving, any of that, you should have received a, your tithe receipt as an email. You should have received that already. That's what you need for your tax person. Um, however, if you didn't receive that or if you still want a paper copy today, tonight, right, uh, after service, and then Sunday are the last days to pick them up in the foyer. And so please make sure you pick them up in the foyer now, if you got an emailed one, we will not be mailing the one in the foyer to you. If you, didn't, if you don't use our online platforms, therefore you didn't get an online tithe receipt at all, we will be mailing that to you guys. But we like to give you guys a couple days to grab those on your own, just to save us the cost of stamps and whatnot. And so those are out on the information table in the foyer tonight. All right. We are going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17 talking about one of, I think, people's favorite topics, submission to the government authorities, (laughs) all right? But really what I want to talk about tonight is the doctrine of submission. That's really what Peter is getting into here. You know, of all biblical doctrines that exist throughout Scripture, if someone asked you, which doctrine is the hardest doctrine? Um, You know, if you were going, well, if you're talking about the hardest to understand or really wrap your mind around, you might say the doctrine of the Trinity. Some people struggle with that. But if you're talking about the hardest to do, the hardest to obey, the hardest to put into practice and to apply, I think in many ways it would be the doctrine of submission. And this is what Peter is addressing in the verses we're looking at tonight. You know, reality, I think we would all agree Nobody likes being told what to do, do we? Especially in our fallen sin nature. Don't you dare tell me what to do. Nobody likes when their personal right to choose, their, their personal right to self-determinate is taken away or hindered. Nobody likes that. And as a matter of fact, I think in many ways, um, our American culture, the very culture we have here in America is based on the idea that we have freedom. We have freedom from restrictive laws of a tyrannical government. That's how our country began, right? We were fleeing tyranny, and we were seeking freedoms, religious freedoms and other freedoms, and that's really how this country started, you know? And, um, but the difficulty in submitting isn't just an American thing, all right? We're not just the new rebellious country that started recently, um, the tendency, the the difficulty with with um, being told what to do, I think, is a human tendency. It's part of our human nature, you know. Someone once wrote, uh, teaching about families and children, that there's two types of children in a family. You have compliant kids and you have defiant kids. And that pretty much sums up the two categories of kids that you would have in a family. But, I don't think categories like that are just limited to kids. I think it describes us as people really well. Resisting authority, finding it difficult to submit, is as human as breathing. You know, Isaiah said in chapter 53, verse six of Isaiah, he said, we all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. That's scripture, you know? Now, even though it's human nature, to want to resist against authority, to to struggle with submitting to to authority around us. The danger in our lives and the danger in our world is without submission, there is no safety. Without submission, there is no security. Without submission, there's no protection. And one commentator I read today said, without submission, there is no music. You know, no music, what does that mean? Well, this is what he said, I found it interesting. He said there was a meeting of the American uh, Psychological Association and in this meeting one of the members described how members of a symphony orchestra perceive one another. All the different members of a symphony orchestra, right? And what he found out in his study is that the percussionists, the drummers, they were seen as insensitive, unintelligent, hard of hearing, but fun-loving. Yeah, okay, I can identify that. Um, in some ways at least. The string players were seen as arrogant, stuffy, and unathletic. The brass players, overwhelmingly by the entire orchestra, were just simply seen as loud. The woodwinds, they were the section that seemed to be held in the highest esteem, and they were seen and perceived by the rest of the orchestras as quiet, meticulous, although just a little bit egotistical. But the question was posed, when you have such a group of people with such different personality types, right, with such different perceptions, how on earth is that group going to come together and make music? Well, the answer is submission. When those various different types and groups and personalities come together and they submit their feelings and they submit their biases to the leadership of one conductor, there is beautiful harmony. Harmony. There is beautiful music because of submission. And so here in chapter two, Peter has been addressing how Christians are observed by the outside world. Um, He was talking about and has been talking about the kind of accusations that will come against Christians from the outside world. And Peter's basically been saying, look, when you live in this world, with the close eyes of scrutiny upon you, certain rules need to be adhered to you got to play by certain rules when you know everybody's watching. And he said in verse 12, just to give a little context here, he said, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Other words, what he was saying is by, by the inward purity of life that we have as believers, that is in demonstrated by an outward quality life, we will silence our accusers. The Christians will silence the non-believing accusers in this world. And, and the idea is that, that although they're going to make accusations, they won't stick because they don't line up. That's No, that's not who they are. That's not, that's not their personality. That's not their character, right? And so starting in verse 13, Peter gives, begins to give us three examples, three specific examples of how to live in such a way that the non-believers can't accuse us of anything, or at least when they do, those accusations won't stick. He's going to talk about how to do that societally. and That's what we're talking about tonight as members of society. Then he's going to talk about how to do that socially, and it's really going to be in the context of being a, um, an employee kind of thing. And then he's going to talk about how to do that in our families, specifically in the to- context of wives and husbands and that relationship. But tonight we're going to look at the doctrine of submission in context of the human governing authorities around us. So let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. Lord, we know that this is a controversial topic, especially in our day and age, Lord, over the last couple years with with lockdowns and wear masks and don't wear masks and get a jab and then get another jab and then get 15 more jabs and, 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 and a government telling us to do this and to not do this. And Lord, our world has been struggling. As a church, we've been struggling with the concept of the secular human authorities around us telling us what to do, what we can and can't do, how and when we could gather, and all of that stuff. Lord, I am so thankful that your word speaks loud and clear. And that, God, as your children, as your people, we are called to live according to your word, not according to our own bents, not according to our own biases, not according to what we want, Lord, but we are called to live according to your word and what you want, even if we don't like it. As the Lord, as we look at your word tonight, I pray, God, that you would speak loud and clear to every single one of us, God, that we would understand the call on our lives to submit to the human authorities around us, even if they're... Uh, ungodly, but God, that we would learn what that means, how that applies in our lives, Lord, but most importantly, we would learn why you tell us to do that, and so, God, we invite you to just do your work in our hearts tonight. Speak to us, Lord. Challenge us if we need to be challenged, God, but Lord, may we hear your heart for our lives, your heart for how we're to live in this world, God, that we would be lights of the gospel, blameless, above accusation prayerfully, being tools used to lead other people that don't know you to their own salvation in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's read all the verses together, and then we'll dig through. Starting in verse 13, it says, Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. For it is God's will. Oh, I just read that. Well, I'm going to read it again. It's a good verse. For it is by for it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God, honor the emperor. So in these verses here, we're gonna get four aspects of, of what I'm calling the doctrine of submission, right? Four aspects, four traits of it. We're gonna see one, the principle of submission, what the principle is, what when we talk about the doctrine of submission, what is the principle that we're to live by? We're gonna look at the particulars of submission, which is pretty much in these verses, who we're to submit to when it says to submit. We're gonna look at the purpose of submission, which is why. We should be uh, following God's uh, teaching on this idea of submission. And then finally, just really the practice of submission. And so he starts out there in verse 13. This is the principle of submission. Submit to every human authority. Now that's a tough one for a lot of people. It's a tough one. That word submit there is the Greek word hupotasso. It means to arrange in an orderly fashion a group of soldiers under a ranking commanding officer. So when he says submit there, the idea is this military term that has military use, to organize the troops in an orderly fashion under a ranking commander. Now, it's not used here, however, in a military sense, right? It's not saying submit to the human authority. Aha, Pastor Nathan just said we're supposed to rise up and overthrow the government, (laughs) no. No, what he's using here is this term hupotasso. When it's used in a non-military sense, what it's saying is voluntarily cooperate. That's the idea of hupotasso. It also carries the idea of helping somebody carry a heavy load. But when he says submit to every human authority here, he's saying, look, voluntarily arrange yourself in an orderly fashion under the authority of those in charge. Voluntarily. The point is is that believers, Christians within the societies we find ourselves in should not be known as subversive troublemakers. Believers should be known, seen, observed as what one would call a model citizen. That's what we're called to be as believers in the societies that we find ourselves in. Now before you get all upset about being a model citizen, right? I want you to notice that verse 13 doesn't say submit to every human authority as long as it is of the political party you identify with. That is not what it says. As much as we might like it to say that, it doesn't say that. Before we like, how am I supposed to be a model citizen in our culture under this government or that government, I want to for a moment remember the culture that existed when this letter was written. The culture that existed when this letter was written, when Jesus came, when Peter wrote, when Paul wrote other New Testament letters, the political culture that existed was horribly, horribly, completely corrupt and filled with tyrants. Tyrants in a a way that we haven't experienced here in American culture yet. When Peter wrote this letter, he was not living in the democracy of Rome. He wasn't, all right? In the time Peter wrote this letter, people didn't have the right to vote. People didn't have the the right to have their voice heard. Yeah, there was the Senate, and there was, you know, and but 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 in reality, people had no rights. There was no free speech. There was no right to bear arms. There was no real representation of any kind. The government that existed in which Peter wrote verse 13 that we just read was what's known as an autocracy. An autocracy is a form of government where there is one person who makes all the rules, who decides what the rules are, and everybody has to follow them on pain of whatever punishment that one individual would decide should be meted out if they break the law. Now, in Peter's context, that one person he calls the emperor. Other translations say the king. And we know that in this time during the Roman Empire, there was a single ruler known as the Caesar. The Caesar was in charge. At the time of 1 Peter, it was Caesar Nero who was in charge of the Roman Empire Now, at this time of this letter being written, where Peter says, submit to human authorities, the Caesars that were in charge weren't just the head of the government. They were worshipped as gods by the people on pain of punishment. What I mean by that is once a year, people in the Roman Empire, they had to go stand before an altar they had to take a pinch of incense and throw it on the altar and proclaim in in the front of witnesses, Caesar is Lord. And when they did that, they were given this little certificate called a libellus. The libellus was a certificate that proved that they had indeed come and worshipped Caesar as God this year. Have a nice life. We'll see you next year. Can you imagine that today? Whoever the president is, Biden, Trump, Reagan, whatever your favorite one is, think about having to go once a year to an altar somewhere, grab a pinch of incense and say, they are Lord. And you had to get your little passport that proved you did it. That's the world where Peter wrote what he wrote. Once they got their libellus, They were free to go worship any God they choose, but they had to worship Caesar as God first. Problem for the Christians is the Christians would have to go in their once a year thing, they would round up all the people, say, look, you need to go do this, you need to go proclaim Caesar as Lord and get your libellus." and the Christians were like, nah, (laughs) Jesus is Lord. And they got in trouble and they got persecuted, and they got harassed, and they got arrested, and there was all kinds of of difficulty that came on the Christians because they simply wouldn't say, Caesar is Lord. Jews living in Judea remembered guys like Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the ruler, the provincial ruler who said, you know what, I'm gonna decree a law right now. I want all babies under the age of two years old, all the male babies, Murder them all, because I heard that the Messiah is is to be born. And so legal, legal proclamation, murder all the children. The Jews remembered guys like this. At the time of 1 Peter, slavery existed in epidemic proportions in the Roman Empire. Some historians say that there was three slaves to every one free person in the Roman Empire. That's a lot of slaves that existed. When it came to taxes, the people were taxed way worse than anything we've ever experienced here in America. It was absolutely oppressive. It was this world that Jesus Christ came as Messiah. But he didn't come as the people were expecting. Right? They thought the Messiah is going to show up. He's going to deliver everyone from this oppression that Rome has us under. He's going to deliver us from this cruel single ruler system where the person could just decide to kill you if they wanted to for any stupid reason. But he didn't do that. Jesus never picketed. Jesus never told his followers to organ a 1,000 Christian march on Rome. He never told his followers to organize a march in Jerusalem. He never said, hey guys, let's get together to protest the cruel government. Jesus never started an insurrection. Jesus never really tried to even win any culture war, if you will. And it surprised people so much, those that were expecting the Messiah to come and basically kick Rome's butt. They were so surprised that he wasn't doing anything that that these various groups of people that hated each other Ended up getting together one time to trap Jesus. And so these two groups got together. One of the groups was the Pharisees. These are religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders that hated Rome. They hated Rome. They hated the Roman government. They hated paying taxes to Caesar because they thought, who are you to tell us what to do? We're the Jews. We have our own nation. We're our own people. But then you had this other group called the Herodians that thought, I know we're Jewish and stuff, but it's okay to follow Rome. It's okay. It's okay to, to, you know, pay taxes. It's okay to, you know, follow this guy Herod into Judea. You know, it's okay. But these two groups, they hated each other vehemently, but joined forces to catch Jesus one time. And so what they did is they got together and they got a coin. And they said, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They thought they had him. Jesus was preaching love. Jesus was healing sicknesses and diseases. Jesus came to say, look, (laughs) you guys need redemption, and you guys need to come back to God your father, and you need to receive the salvation he had. You know, Jesus wasn't talking about overthrowing governments. He was talking about restoring a right relationship with their creator, and they're going, yeah, but, but is it okay to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And they thought, we got him, because if he says, yes, it's okay to pay taxes, well, half the people are going to hate Jesus. But if he says it's not okay to pay taxes, well, then the other half the people are going to hate Jesus. We got him, right? Well, Jesus took the coin, looked at it, and said, whose image is on this coin? They said, well, it's Caesar's image on the coin. And so Jesus said, well, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. His image is on it. It's his coin. Pay the taxes. But Give to God what is God's. Not everybody agreed with that. There was a third group of people within the Jewish nation called the Zealots. The Zealots were nationalists. They refused to pay taxes. They staged terror attacks to, to kill their opponents. And they used scripture to justify their reasons. There's a scripture in Deuteronomy 17 that said that um, uh, the Jews shouldn't be placed under the authority of any foreigner. And so the Zealots were like, you know, we, we, we hate Rome. We hate all of this. Um, and because there's a Caesar in Rome, because there's a Pontius Pilate here, because there's a Herod in Judea, you know, we didn't put them there. We didn't vote them into power, whatever, whatever. So we are sworn as God's people to overthrow the government and do all these terrorist activities. But none of that is what Jesus ever taught his people to do. He didn't teach them to, to rise up in that sense. And so you think of the culture where First Peter is written, where Peter wrote this verse, submit To the human authorities, and you think of the culture and the rulership and the oppression and the horrible situation that existed in that time. What is a Christian to do in the midst of that? Especially when it's an ungodly government with unjust laws. Peter says, Submit to every human authority. That's the principle of submission. That's the principle. We may not like hearing that. We may struggle with that concept, but it's in the word of God, and we believe that God inspired the people who wrote what he wrote. And that's the principle, that we are to voluntarily cooperate with the human authorities around us. Now, what does he mean by those human authorities? He goes on to say in verse 13, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him. Now, as I said, when he's talking about the emperor there, he's referring to the emperor of the time. He's referring to Caesar Nero, who was effectively king and ruler over the known world at that time. And then he goes, or to the governors. See, again, contextually, Rome at that time had 28 imperial districts, and each one of these 28 imperial districts was ruled or governed by a governor or a procreator, there's a whole bunch of different words that they used. Pontius Pilate was one of these governors that was put in position by the Roman authorities to, to rule and to lead. And each one of these 28 governors in these 28 imperial districts was given part of the Roman army. They were given part of the Roman army. They had legions of soldiers with them to keep the peace. And those guys were effectively the law enforcement. The law enforcement that existed for the government to use on behalf of Caesar of ruling all the lands that Rome controlled. So the idea here is submit to every human authority, whether it's Caesar Nero, this is what Peter is saying. Whether it's Caesar Nero, whether it's those 28 provincial governors, submit to them. This is hard. This is hard to deal with. Especially if you consider the background that as Peter is writing this letter, he is only one to two years away from what's called the Great Persecution. The great persecution was a time just one or two years after Peter wrote these words to the Christian church where Rome caught fire and it burned down. And at the time, most of the people and historians today agree that that most people agree at the time and now that Caesar Nero is the one who set the fire and burned down his own city. And it was such a huge controversial thing, he needed a scapegoat. And so Nero decided to blame the Christians. Blame the Christians for burning down Rome. And he was Caesar Nero after all, so who was going to argue against him, right? The Christians did it. Sometime later, Nero got more and more crazy, he got into chariot racing had his own track made, and would race his chariot around the track, and as he got more into playing race cars, he was like, you know what, I want to I wanna race my chariot at nighttime. But there was no electricity during that time, and so what he would do is send out his, his people and his army to gather up Christians, because the Christians, they were the ones that burned down Rome, right? Nobody's arguing with me, right? I'm Caesar Nero. Cool. Gather up the Christians, And then I'm going to have those Christians covered in tar and pitch. And so that I can race my chariot around my track at nighttime, I'm going to have them hoisted up on poles and lit on fire to be living torches so that I could play race my chariot on my track. The early Christians had serious challenges in their day when it came to the human authorities that ruled over them. They had challenges that that we've never experienced here in this time. Sure, there are difficulties today. There are things that I don't like. There are things that the government in California has done that I'm like, "Oh my goodness, you guys are dumb." I'm just so upset. <laughs> There are things that our federal government has done, this administration, the previous one, every administration, things that I've done that, are, that I, just, I just so passionately disagree with. But I've yet to find myself living in a society where my friend was, was covered in tar and pitch and raised up as a living, burning torch so that Biden can drive his race car around a track. And yet, this world where Peter is writing, he's saying, submit to these human authorities, we have to understand what God is saying here. We live in a world that is often filled with Nero's and Hitler's and other tyrannical leadership, difficult leadership. There are Christians that live in countries right now that have rulership and leadership over them that says, if we find out you're a Christian, we will kill you and your family. And yet, the Bible tells us, submit to the human authorities. Wow. Is there ever a time, and I want to address this, when a Christian can or should defy and not obey and not submit to the human authorities that are over us? Yes, there is absolutely a time, but but, but here's the, the rule. The idea is that we submit until submitting to earthly authority makes us not submit to heavenly authority. We obey until our obedience to the human authorities makes us disobey God. That is a biblical principle we see throughout Scripture. At the point where our obedience to the human authorities makes us disobey God, a whole other set of rules comes into play. Let me give you some examples. In the Old Testament... You had the pharaoh of Egypt, the ruler of the known world at that time, commanded the Hebrew midwives to kill all the boys among the Hebrews. It was a law passed by the the one and only powerful leader of the government there. But in Exodus 1, it tells us they refused to do it. It says the midwives feared God and did not do as the king commanded. Why? Because sanctity of life is important to God. Life is precious to God. And if the government ever comes and tells you, here, I'm going to put this gun in your hand, and I'm commanding you by law to pull the trigger and murder this person, that is the moment where you say, I am sorry. I will not submit to your authority because I am not to murder anybody. Later, you had King Nebuchadnezzar try to force Daniel and his buddy, buddies to, to violate their, their religious kosher dietary rules, and they refused to do it. It says in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's delicacies. Daniel said, I am not going to obey you, human ruling authority, because that would mean I would have to disobey my covenant with my God. Later, that same king, Nebuchadnezzar, made a huge statue of himself, and he passed a law that said everybody in the kingdom had to bow down and worship this statue. And in that story, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they said, nope. We will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image. Later, King Darius passed a law that said nobody could pray to any other god except himself, Again, Daniel said, nope. Because in order to obey you, I would have to disobey God. In the New Testament, we have the story of the Sanhedrin passing a religious law saying that the name of Jesus could, could no longer be preached. Within their community and within their authority, they passed a religious law. You cannot preach in the name of Jesus. And we read that Peter and John said, you know what? I'm sorry, dudes, but I have to obey God rather than man so the principle here we are to submit to human authorities until the obedience to the human authority is directly causing us to disobey God and if you find yourself in that situation Christian you obey God rather than obeying man make sense The problem is, is we like to take things that that really don't have anything to do with obeying or disobeying God, and we turn those into things that we justify, oh, I don't have to do what the government says. I don't have to listen to them. I don't have to do it. And we're going to get into a moment why that's a problem. Verse 14. He says, or to the governors, as those sent out by him, speaking of the king, to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. Just a quick note there. The idea and what he is saying there. Look, submit to human authorities, whether it's the emperor as the supreme ruler or the governors he sends out. As a believer, as a citizen in whatever society, secular society you find yourself in, living as a citizen, Okay, if you're not being subversive and breaking the law, you generally don't need to worry. If you're not being a criminal, you don't have to worry about the authorities coming in and messing with you and arresting you and and causing problems. Generally speaking, that's the idea. You know, if you're doing 85 down Bellflower Boulevard and you get pulled over, and the cop comes to the window, you have no right to look look at that cop and go, you know what? I'm a Christian. I don't have to obey your laws. Well, that's great. Here's your ticket. Right? That that is has nothing to do with obeying or disobeying God. What you're being there is a poor citizen. And so those laws that exist, those laws that are in place, you know, I know we live in a day and age where, where, where government is mistrusted and law enforcement is mistrusted. And over the last couple of years, we've had so many difficult situations with law enforcement and those that have the, the legal power and authority to enact stuff. And there's been difficult cops, bad cops, that, that have caused all cops to have this horrible reputation. And and, and yeah, there's, there's so much difficulty going on with our governmental human authorities. Nothing like there was in the time of Caesar Nero, but still. But still, it's been a difficult situation. But the overwhelming idea for the Christian here is that law and order exists to protect society. Law and order exists to stabilize society. And Christians, we're called to be a part of that stabilizing influence within that structure of the society we find ourselves in. We're called to be a part of the stabilizing influence. We should generally be known for bringing blessing to the society we're a part of, not subversion, not government overthrow, not violent protests. We're not called to go set cities on fire and call them peaceful protests. That's not what we're called to do as Christians. What we're called to do is be model citizens within the place we find ourselves. Look at verse 13a again. It says, submit to every human authority because... Of the Lord. And this is where we get into the why. Why is God telling us to submit, even when it's a horrible government? Because when we submit to the human authority, we're showing that we honor God. We're showing that we glorify God. When we, when we submit to every human authority, it says, do it because of the Lord. This is the purpose of submission. We had the principle of submission, we had the, 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 the practical elements. Who is he talking about, right? But here the purpose of submission: that God is honored. God is glorified when His earthly representatives are seen as stabilizers in society. God is honored when, when, when His people are seen as the ones who follow the rules, who do what is asked. And this is really, should be the highest motivation to submit to the human authorities. Not because we agree with them, disagree with them, have the same political bent. The the highest motivation is because it brings glory and honor to Christ. Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, right? You guys remember that one? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Even this one, as hard as it can be to do so. God has a plan and a purpose in giving us his instruction, even when when the authorities are, are, are oppressive over us. It glorifies God. It brings glory to his name. But look at verse 15. Peter says, For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. There are very few places in the New Testament where something is outright called God's will. You don't find it very often. You find it inferred. Very few places where something is called God's will. This is God's will. What is God's will here? It is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. What is the good he's talking about here contextually? It's submitting to the human authorities. We may not fully understand why, but, but parents, you get it. When you tell your kids, do the thing, and they go, why? And you say, because I said so. I am the authority. I have the right. That's all you need. That's all you need. And in this big picture here, it is God's will that we silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Why, God, do I have to submit to the human authorities? They're corrupt. Why do I have to submit to their rules and laws? Why do I have to do what they say up until they're telling me to disobey God himself? God, why do I have to do that? Because it's my will, God says. Because God said so. And again, he's referencing back to verse 12 when he said, look, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Why? because they're watching you and they're waiting for you to trip up and they're looking for you to be a hypocrite and they're trying to find you who are the one that says, that says you know, look, look, be a good citizen and da-da-da-da-da and follow God and follow his rules. And they're like, you don't follow, right? They're looking for us to trip up at any time. They're always looking for a reason to dismiss God because of his children. You know, I've talked to police officers in the past that just find it so hilarious that when they see that one car that's running the stop signs, running the red lights, breaking all the speeding laws, and it always has a Jesus fish on the back. And cops are like, yeah, we call them flying fish. Why do you think you don't have to follow the laws? Right, if you're going to drive like that, take the Jesus fish off your car. Just do that for me, okay? Or leave it there and just be a model citizen. But the idea is is that the world is always looking and they're waiting and they're just trying to find a reason to say, aha, you're a hypocrite. You're not sincere. What you preach isn't real. It can't be real because you don't live according to your own words. But it's God's will that we silence them by doing good. One of the best witnesses we have in this world is being model citizens. It's one of the best witnesses we have as believers. It's a hard witness, but it's one of the best. So verse 16, he says, Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. So the central issue here is a good Christian should also be a good, excuse me, a good citizen. And a good Christian is a good citizen because they want to honor God. And when they do that, they have a clear conscience. And a clear conscience is a good thing to have. You see, Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 13 verses 1 and 2. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. Idea, God is the ultimate authority. God is the ultimate authority over all and everything. But if he is the ultimate authority... He has the right to say to you and me, submit to the human authorities. He is the ultimate authority. We are his people, and it says there, submit as free people. You know, we are redeemed when we come to Christ. We are set free when we come to Christ. But we're not set free to go willy-nilly and do whatever we want at any time. That's not the freedom that comes to us in Christ, You know, we're not commanded to like the governments around us. He doesn't say we need to like them and be best friends with them, but we're commanded to honor them, to obey, to submit to them. And within our country, we have the right to voice dissent. We have the right to let our voice be heard. We have the ability to to not agree with things. We have opportunity within our system to to right wrongs, and to address grievances. That still exists in our country here. But over it all, we submit to the human authority because we submit to God. Because God has saved us. God has redeemed us. He goes, submit as free people, not to use your freedom to do evil, but as God's slaves. What does he mean by that? One of the greatest defenses of the gospel of Jesus Christ One of the greatest apologetics for the gospel of Jesus Christ is a good, righteous life lived in honor of him. And as I said, the central message of the entire gospel is redemption, that we are redeemed, right? That we are purchased back and set free from the penalty of sin and death. And we talk about how God can take any life and redeem it. God can take the darkest life and redeem it, the evilest life and redeem it, the most messed up life and redeem it. And the best witness for the gospel we should know is a redeemed life. But when he says submit as free people, how can we be free when we live under a tyrannical government? How can we be free when we live under the the, the difficulty of ungodly rulership? I mean, the very concepts of freedom and submission, they seem to be contrary, don't they? How do you live in freedom and live in submission at the same time? If you're submitting, you have to be giving up your freedom, don't you? Well, it's my opinion that when a Christian chooses to submit in obedience to Christ, they gain a greater freedom than they ever had before. William Barclay said this, Christian freedom does not mean being free to do as you like, it means being free to do as you ought. Christian freedom is not the freedom to do as you like. It means being free to do as you ought to do. That's the freedom we have in Christ. That's why he says submit as free people, because we ought to. Because what we do and how we do it in submission to the governing authorities around us affects the witness, affects the very testimony that I'm a redeemed, saved person and you can be too. The freedom to do what we should is the freedom that Christ brings in our life and that submission is part of honoring God and giving a good witness to those we live among. And so verse 17, he closes here and he says, Honor everyone love the brothers and sisters, fear God, honor the emperor. So this verse is the practice of submission, right? You want to talk about the doctrine of submission. Sure, we've been in specific context of the ruling authorities and the governments around us, but, but, but in a more general sense, this is the practice of what submission looks like in the life of a believer. It's really a summation of the entire doctrine of submission. He says, honor everyone, honor everyone. You see, every human being deserves a certain amount of respect. Every human being. Caesar Nero. The worst tyrannical rulers you can possibly think of. They all deserve a certain amount of respect. Whether they hate you, whether they hate God, whether they live a lifestyle you disagree with, whether they have really messed up ideas about faith and eternity, it doesn't matter. Every human being is made in the image of God. And because of that, we to show honor to them as God's creation. Sometimes we look at people that aren't us, aren't believers, living lifestyles that, that, that we know the Bible says those are, those are wrong lifestyles, and we look at them as less people. We look at them as inferior humans, and we treat them that way, and that is not okay for the Christian church to do. Remember, Peter wrote this in a time when slaves weren't even considered human beings. They were considered less than property. They had no rights at all. And he's saying to this group of Christians, right, don't treat them as as less than human when they oppose you, when they stand against you in the context of the governments that, that we're like, oh my gosh, some of you are so messed up and so wicked and so evil and so corrupt. Guess what? They are still made in the image of God and until they leave this earth, there's still opportunity in their lives to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and receive salvation. And so we should never behave in a way where we dismiss and write them off because they, they, they don't agree with what we agree with. It doesn't mean that we're to mindlessly tolerate um, any behavior of any kind. It doesn't mean that we're to to just mindlessly be, be abused and treated unfairly in that sense. But every person deserves to be responded to and treated with dignity, even the ungodly rulers. Then he says, love the brothers and sisters, right? This is the family of God. This is the body of believers that we're a part of. And Jesus said himself, the world will know you're my disciples by what? your love for one another. And so as we mutually submit to one another and show deference and voluntarily cooperate with one another in the body of Christ, it glorifies God. He says, fear God. That concept of fearing God there, it's not a crouching, quivering fear. It's talking about a reverential respect and awe of God that culminates in submissive obedience to the will of God. Fearing God means, Lord, I have such respect for you, such awe for who you are and your authority and your power and your call in my life that I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to submit to your will, Lord. And because we submit to him, and because we submit to his will, and part of his will for us is to submit to the human authorities around us, we do it because he said so. That's fearing God. And then he says, honor the emperor. And this, we come full circle, right? Full circle in this section. We end where we begin. However, it's interesting. This phrase here in the original language, it's slightly different than what he says in verse 13. In verse 13, he's dealing with the action of submitting to the emperor, right? Submit to the human authorities, whether it's the emperor or the supreme ruler, right? He's talking about the action there. But here when he says, honor the emperor, he's dealing with the attitude of honoring the emperor. You know, it's one thing to submit to the human authorities around us. It's something completely different to do it with the wrong attitude, right? Parents again, it's different when your kids go, yes, mom, yes, dad, and they do the thing. Some altogether different when they like cross their arms and they throw their butt down on the couch and they're like, fine, I'll sit here, right? Okay, well, that's a little bit different, isn't it? It's a little bit different. We can disagree with the governing authorities around us, but believers shouldn't be people who submit begrudgingly with sneers on our faces, shaking our fists, bad-mouthing. It doesn't matter who's in office. What this means is in our submission to them as believers, to honor them, as he says, to honor the emperor here, is to care about their well-being to the point where we'll say, look, I disagree with them, but I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray that if they don't know Jesus, they come to know Jesus. And if they do know Jesus, they would grow in that relationship, that they would rule well, that they would rule with wisdom. I'm going to to show them honor by, by caring about them and their soul and praying for them because of the place they're in and the authority they hold. And as Romans said that, because the place they're in and the authority they hold seems to be because God allowed them to have it. And so we show honor we submit to them in that instead of saying, I'm writing them off and I don't care about them. to say, no, 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 I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for their soul. I'm going to pray for the job they're doing. I'm going to pray for, for everything that is involved in that. So how do we get along and perform all this and do what we're commanded here in the word of God? How do we do this when we have so many differences with some of the ruling authorities over us? We have different ideas, different agendas, different points of view, different morality. We do it by making our own ideas, our own hearts, our own biases subservient to the conductor of the church, Jesus Christ. We do it by submitting ourselves ultimately to Jesus Christ, submitting to his lordship and when we do that as the Christians, we voluntarily cooperate with him in submitting to him. We, we end up marching together in lockstep and unison, following his will and his way. And as we do that in submission to him, by following his will to submit to the authorities around us, we are going to show the world around us who the God is that we serve. Even when we don't like it, even when we don't feel like it, it honors God. So if you haven't been praying for our leaders, I just challenge you guys to go home this week and make a list. Start with the president and Congress and especially start with the ones you really don't like. Go through the states and local governments. Make a list and pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for their salvation if they don't have it. If you don't know, pray for it. Pray that they would rule well. Pray for their well-being. I guarantee as you pray for those rulers above us, especially the ungodly ones, you're going to find yourself not really able to have hate and bitterness in your hearts towards them. But instead, you're going to find yourself with with a grace and a mercy and a submission that is the will of God in our lives as believers. Why? to silence the foolish around us by the good works we do as model citizens, amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Bless us, Lord, speak to us, help us. Lord, sometimes when it comes to looking at the ruling authorities around us, God, as Christians, as a church, we can sometimes inadvertently put people on pedestals because they happen to be a believer. And we raise them up even in an ungodly way because we're we're so hopeful that finally somebody that knows the Lord's in office and maybe things will be different. And God, works to pray for them or to encourage them, but God, we're called to do the same even with the human authorities we don't agree with that, Lord, as Christians in this world, we would know that, for one, while we are temporarily here citizens of of America and whatever other country we find ourselves in, that we are ultimately citizens of heaven. And that we were called to represent the ultimate King of kings, Lord of lords, the ruler in heaven over all creation. We're to represent him here in this world. And so, Lord, may we take that witness that we have very seriously, God, that even though we don't agree with the things the government does around us, Lord, that insofar as those things aren't expecting us legally to disobey you, God, that we are to submit to those things. We are to work within the frameworks that exist around us, Lord, but God, at the same time, Lord, at the very moment, the very second, that the authorities around us, by mandate, by law, direct us to disobey God Almighty, Lord, that we would collectively in that moment say no. Because God, we know that you are the ultimate authority. And so help us, Lord, every day of our lives to the be, be the people you're calling us to be as people who live here on this earth. That we would be a witness of the gospel. That we would be a witness of the redemption that is available to those who are captive by sin in this world. Lord, we thank you we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's worship, guys.